Welcome women. Here we talk about sovereign and instinctual womanhood and motherhood, the call to women's work, and so much more. I'm Bethany Wild, an author, mother, and mentor for women's wellness practitioners who want to deepen their knowledge of holistic womb and pelvic care. And I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to this special bonus midweek release. Normally, I don't do this, but last minute, Nicole reached out to me to be a part of her postpartum summit, and I've been invited before to be on summits and talks and bundles and those kind of things you might have seen if you are on social media, and most of the time, I... Uh, it doesn't resonate for me personally, but this one really did. I had an initial initial call with Nicole, and I could really feel her lived wisdom and depth of knowing and just absolute love for the postpartum time. And, you know, as you'll hear and as I have shared before in different episodes, I didn't have the most nourished postpartum. I felt really alone and overwhelmed and it was a bit of a rough transition into motherhood the first time. Um, So to hear these models of women who claimed a nourished postpartum, who leaned into the potential for vitality and regeneration, that's so inspiring to me is I dream of not just what I would like for a future child or children, but how I can help support women in my community to also call that in. So anyway, she she brought me on to her Nourished Postpartum Summit, which we'll talk a little bit about, but it's a collection of a lot of wise women on so many beautiful topics with this intention to, as she says, claim, reclaim the truth of postpartum vitality to restore it as the sacred blessing that it is and to walk away from these stories and these models of, you know, even like I hold this depletion, like it was a hard time, um, I felt alone, all these things. And she really invites us into the knowing, the blueprint to show us how to call that in for ourselves, to call in ease. And so this episode I'm bringing in because just like the summit is modeled on, or the foundation is this knowing that we are designed to receive models in all of these areas of our lives. So too, I wanted to hear her elder wisdom in the postpartum time, not, I mean, definitely in the circles of free birth and natural birth, you do see women who have more children than like two or three. So I really do, uh, but, but like in the mainstream, you know, you don't see that as much. So I really do see Nicole as an elder in this respect of someone who has only known blissful blissful postpartum experiences and can teach us and guide us and be a model and a lighthouse for how to have that for ourselves. So I just want to quote from her, 
which I feel is really relevant here since this podcast episode is really just a storytelling um, for for her to share her her wisdom here. So she says, everything that is vital to being human, we learn through modeling, talking, walking, relationships. We learn by watching and by doing together, by intimately witnessing those around us move through the spaces we are growing into. Their experience is integrated as our own. Our lives become a reflection of the wisdom of generations. In postpartum, we have lost this model. So, you know, everything that she talks about, everything that she is, it resonated so deeply with me to want to be a part of her summit and the other great speakers. So um, I will link everything in the show notes. I have an affiliate link. So if you are deeply interested in accessing these talks, if you use my link, that's a great way to support me and my work since it doesn't cost you anything extra. And I'm releasing this pretty quickly because I think by February 10th, the sale price will uh, go away and then it'll be doubled. So now is the time if you feel called, if you are a woman who is going to give birth one day and have a postpartum experience of her own, if you are a birth worker, if you have friends and sisters uh, who are mothers, if you want, if you, if you just know any mother, this is, as she explains, so important to oh, rewrite our cultural and community prioritization of mothers and to center them. And this is where it starts. It can be as simple as bringing them a meal in it can be so meaningful. So uh, in my talk with her in the Nourish Postpartum Summit, I talk about altered rhythms, preparing for postpartum emergence. And that is a much deeper exploration of the episode that I have on this podcast where I talked about that. It's way deeper and more expansive So we talk about altered rhythms in the postpartum time and practical support. We also talk about how the postpartum time is designed to be one where we integrate and reflect, which is the final stage of a rite of passage. You know, I share about the sleepy newborn haze as time out of time, surrendering to these altered rhythms, Remembering that we are of the earth and the recognition that we are cauldrons for the alchemy of the karma of the souls that we are called to mother. So it's it's a beautiful conversation. It really filled my heart to speak about this with her. And so that's just one talk. If you opt in for, um, for this, you're going to get different talks on holistic nutrition, postural movement, ritual and ceremony of this time the transition into becoming the matriarch fathers in the postpartum time so there's two men who are actually speaking birth trauma integration without victimhood quantum breastfeeding sovereign healing for yoni tears energetics of nourishment integration through the portal placenta honoring and alchemy body work for baby touch and body work for mama and then the energetics of reception so um, this is 
an amazing collection of talks and I really stand behind this foundation that we we need models for the postpartum time we need models for mothering so that we can avoid like you know having an experience that is traumatic and less than bringing you into your fullest vitality and power and nourishment that you will carry into your mothering so it's just invaluable I think about how if I had access to these talks and just sitting at the feet of these women who were just sharing their experiences and their hearts and um their insights like I would have had a completely different experience you know so anyway it's beautiful you can go click on the link in the show notes and get those beautiful 16 conversations before February 10th and you can get at that sale price so anyway moving into this episode um I'm talking to Nicole again And of course, we expanded a little bit beyond, you know, just her, just the simplicity of the postpartum experiences that she's had, which are so beautiful. So I'm going to just share the pieces of what we talked about and then move straight into this. So we talk about Nicole's path into early motherhood and how she experienced loss as her first postpartum experience how she describes her first postpartum as bliss and holy reclamation after a traumatic birth. She says, I didn't know humans could access pleasure like this, that we were capable of feeling this good. And she talks about how she set herself up for the most ease, bringing her partner into awareness on what postpartum looks like. And how the father is the guardian and the protector of mother baby in the postpartum. And she brings forth a really important kind of guiding light and question for all those who surround the mother. She says, if your solution for support is anything that steps between mama and child, that's not actual support. It has a great motive and intent, but the felt sense is one of disruption. Then Nicole shares what she claimed in her next postpartum experience, how things change when adding a second child and the felt experience of loss and grief. She talks about the postpartum time of her third child and how that integration was, newborn and toddler rhythms, the differences and how to eventually weave them together. And I love how she also spoke on sibling integration in the postpartum time and well beyond, especially the um, how the firstborn goes through this. She talks about how important it is to prioritize serving new mothers to show your children and your partner what it looks like and essentially making it a core family value. Committing to holding physical stillness, which which translates to emotional and energetic stillness. How creating a beautiful postpartum doesn't have to be so hard or exceptional or unattainable. The core pillars of postpartum wellness and vitality. Examining your own template for safety, reception, nourishment. And 
how postpartum care is an entire cultural and community prioritization or how it should be. And then she talks a little bit about the Nourish Postpartum Summit as like sitting at the feet of your community, uh, the wise women. So um, I really think you're going to love this so much to hear her stories, to hear her heart. Um, I just think you're going to be so inspired like I was. It made me, after I spoke with her, I just felt really excited for another opportunity one day to to build and claim this postpartum experience. I think um, I think everyone will come away just with a full heart and uh, deeply inspired either for yourself and or your community. So let's get into Nicole's stories. So my path into motherhood, I feel like I have to start like as early as possible where like I connected with that piece of myself when I was like six. Like I remember hipping babies and like watching nursing mothers and having this like just intoxicating desire to embody that. And so my desire to be a mother really drove all of the decisions of my life. I, you know, I was in college when I was 19 <clears throat> and I decided that I was done. I knew that I wanted to do birth work. My mother was a midwife and yet I kept sitting with it and being like, I don't want to wait four years to have kids. That feels incorrect. And so I told myself that I would take a one-year nanny contract to see if I met my husband so I could have my children. And then if by the end of the year I hadn't met him, I would begin the midwifery student process. And I met him the day my job began. <laughs> and so we... <clears throat> partnered and committed really intensely right at the start. We both had this, and it was really rooted in this deeply shared desire to create family and these shared pillars of values of how we wanted to weave that, what we wanted to provide our children. And I remember meeting him and kind of going down the list even of like, I'm going to birth at home. I already know that. What are your feelings about it? Like, and he was born at home, so that was fine. Or like, you know, I'm going to nurse my children as long as they want. And I'm not going to use a cover even at my in-law's house. How would that feel for you? I'm not going to, you know, I had all these things that I, I already knew were going to be important to my motherhood. And there's so much that you don't know, right? But I did have these pretty certain foundations of like, I know this is a part of it. And so much so I was absolutely searching not just for like a husband and our partner for myself but I was absolutely searching for like who's the father of my children um so we found him and we pretty quickly conceived our first baby <clears throat> um when I was 20 um and this was a child that we that I had known since I was like 13 or 14 
had like visited me in dreams for years. I knew her name and her face and lots about her. And, and he had been dreaming of the same child for many years and had shared in this vision. Um, so that baby was born very early and we did not get to have her woven into our life in the way that we thought we would. Um, but it was also still this initiation into motherhood, right? I, I was still, became a mother in that moment when I chose to become her mother. And it was so much in the loss of her that I was pulled into those, you know, we're going to talk about postpartum and those depths that you can access and the growth and the opportunity in there. When your baby dies, there's a lot more pain mixed into that. But I was so gifted that opportunity and this really brilliant becoming that kind of formed me and forged me and fortified me to being the mother to my sons and to becoming the woman that can hold those things. So we immediately began trying for another. And that was a really interesting process that took about a year and a half. Um, which I think in hindsight, I think it did because there was there was so much grief and energetics that needed to be kind of integrated first. So we had Owen when I was 22, my oldest, and his postpartum was such bliss. Like it was just so, so good. Um, his pregnancy was really enjoyable. His birth was quite difficult. Um, we were we were midwife attended at home, and my midwife was really lovely, but my midwife mother was also present. And there was some, um, you know, part of her being a licensed midwife, but part of her being my mother and her own birth stories and experiences birthing me specifically. Um, the ways that that was projected onto my experience, we ended up ending up in the hospital with a C-section that wasn't medically necessary at all. But our postpartum was such holy reclamation of that birth space that was kind of forfeited. And I hesitate to say like stolen or lost because I, I completely take responsibility over how I arrived to that space and how it unfolded. But for every bit, you know, people talk about like if your birth plan doesn't go the way you want, or if you have a traumatic birth, or if you have a cesarean birth, a lot of women walk away with these sensations of like, my body failed. And I had none of that. Mm -hmm. I had no sense of that. And I completely attribute that to the fact that when I set myself up so well for postpartum, Right after birth, I immediately invited myself into all the ways that my body does work. <clears throat> I got to immediately sit and nurse my baby easily and be like, oh, this is so easy. This works. And with every like huff of his breath and the way my brain would light up or all these feelings, right? There was, it was such this symphony of pleasure and enjoyment and this rightful sense of belonging in myself as a woman, now a mother, and beside this child. 
that I was so certain that my body worked. I was so certain that everything was okay. I felt so secure in showing up to the depth or the dark or the shadow, which did find me, of course, right? It's all there. There's this massive wave of your own childhood experiences, or your own stories of worth and safety and nourishment can like, you know, they totally slammed into me too. I had that too, sitting on the couch nursing and being like, whoa, I knew I had some childhood trauma, but I didn't know about this giant part that I've apparently been holding this whole time or, or whatever it was, but it was so beautifully counterbalanced by just as many, if not far more moments of, I had no idea life could feel this good. And I remember saying that to my husband more than once, like, like just weeping with, I didn't know humans could access pleasure like this. Like I literally didn't know that human life could include something this good. I didn't know the human body was capable of feeling this much pleasure. It was like this, I like, I was like, who has been keeping this secret? Like, what is going on? How is it that this is attainable? Is this going to be my life forever? Like what? It was so, it was so remarkable. It was so remarkable to sit in. And I completely attribute all of that to the fact that I allowed my body to unfold naturally. I have this really unshakable belief that postpartum and birth and motherhood, but postpartum is designed by your body to be really incredible. That there is so much nuance and intention and divinely intelligent design that goes into orchestrating that bliss to gifting you those opportunities into brightness, to wisely counterbalance the darkness and shadow that you also access because it's only when you have, it's only when you pair those depths with the heights that you ultimately find a like rhythm of motherhood that's sustainable. Where you access those heights and you soak that in and then you dip into those depths and you sustain yourself. You have to have something to sustain yourself off of. And when we move away from this brilliant physiological design of postpartum, we're still going to access those depths because you still have to feed the baby. You still have to get up when they cry. You still have to wake at night. You still have to go touch those places. And it's almost as if we don't have a choice if we access the dark. We just have a choice if we're going to allow ourselves to access the light. And that difference is, did you create the space around yourself for that to come in? So for me, in preparing for that initial postpartum was, I mean, it was really, it was really on purpose. I, I told my husband, see, he was an only child. He didn't have, he didn't watch birth and babies the way that I had growing up. You know, I attended La Leche League meetings as a little girl. I was, you know, really immersed in this. And, and he wasn't. And he had the same desire for family, but it wasn't something that he had had modeled in the same capacity. So I remember informing him, like, 
this is how it's designed to work. My body wants me to be drunk on our baby because biologically, primally speaking, that's why I'm going to want to keep him alive so much. Like it's really clear cut. This is how it works. But the only way to do that is if I have space to do it well. And telling him like, our baby is not going to be hard for me to take care of. Everything he needs, I have. My warmth, my scent, my touch, my voice, my milk. Every I can meet his needs. And I can meet them while feeling good. The only time it's going to not feel good is if I'm doing other stuff. And so my job is the baby. And your job is to protect my space so that my job feels easy because it can't. So I'm not cooking, I'm not clean, and it's our first, so it's much easier (laughs) to construct these boundaries, right? But I'm not cooking, I'm not cleaning, I'm not leaving the house, I am not going to say yes to any visitors until I am postpartum and know how I feel. No one is allowed to come to our home if they don't have food. I expect you to set that boundary. I don't want to be on my phone texting people someone wants to come over, they can message you. You can remind them that they need to bring dinner and you can ask me when they're allowed to come. Like, and, and setting all this up and really bringing him into awareness of what postpartum looks like so that he could, as himself and as a man and as a father, connect with that value and therefore uphold it with me. And, and constructing this picture for him, which was innate for him this wasn't like I I didn't have to convince him of anything he was like that's great cool I'm in um but constructing for him this picture that like and that's how you the father take care of your child is by keeping your child in their rightful place upon my chest and the newborn doesn't need daddy to feed them or orient them to earth in the same way that they need. But like daddy just can't do that. Daddy's role in those initial months are to continually invite their child to have their needs met safely by mama. And so claiming my role in postpartum, claiming my belonging and my birthright in it was, was really only supported when I also invited him into his. Like, and this is your birthright as a father, as the provider, as the protector, is to be the guardian of your child and also of his mother by making sure we are safe and warm and soft and mushy and relaxed and open and happy in our home. So I can only imagine how fulfilling that would be as a father. I just think about all the ways that, and I don't want to divert too much into the male experience, but I just think about all the ways that, you know, so much gets taken from them during the birth experience. Like I recently, um, my friend called me while she was in labor and I was really, really far from the car. And
but you know, same for the postpartum time, how much the man is like asked to do all these things that is reserved for the mother that he feels really incompetent in doing probably Mm -hmm. and how fulfilling it must be to, to just come into his strength and, um, guardianship and and power as a man and father like how right that must feel instead of you know all the other things that we ask them to do so that's another beautiful piece to that um and then just one more question I want to ask um when you when you talked about this postpartum time did you set that for 40 days or did you have a specific time frame I had 40 days in the back of my head. I wasn't super attached to like, you know, some people get really like, I'm going to steam from day seven until day 40 or whatever that is. Um, (laughs) But that was in the back of my head. I was like anywhere from like a month to six weeks is I'm setting really, really firm boundaries around. Um, And I did end up leaving the house at like three weeks for like 20 minutes because I really, really wanted to go see people. I really wanted to be out. Um, So we went to the co-op like three minutes away from home and got a coffee and went back home and snuggled back in. Um, But yeah, it was was this intention to observe a, a certain amount of time. And it was really wonderful to invite him into his role. And And as much as I was setting myself up to have my proper integration into myself as a mother, he deserves the space to properly integrate himself as a father. Like he's, he's expanding and transitioning too. And then, yeah, just additionally, like you said, like all those things that we, there's almost like these two models that either the father is not helpful at all and does nothing and doesn't even change diapers. And everyone rightfully looks at that and is like, that's unsustainable. But then so often it seems like this modern solution is like, so mama should pump so dad can do night feeds. Like that's really highly disruptive to the mother baby. Are you supporting the mother or the baby to, I I would say no. If your solution for support is anything that steps between mama and child, that's not actual support of mother or child. And, and so, yeah, these modern solutions are more so like mama's going to pump and daddy's going to take over night feeds, which is just so highly disruptive to the mother baby dyad. And not only you're putting like an unnatural amount of work on mother, but then you're also not keeping mom. Like it's just, it's, you're now messing with something that really doesn't need to be messed with. And if you're doing any kind of support, so to speak, that comes between mother and child you're not supporting mother or child and you're starting to in small ways and for a good reason right the motive of kindness and compassion and desire to care for your baby and wife or whoever is there but the felt sense is one of disruption and so you're not actually helping and we really really have to hold this commitment to sinking into trust that the body orchestrates perfectly and that our best chance at a good experience is by getting out of the way as much as possible I remember like my grandma asking me when I was pregnant with my first she said are you gonna well you're gonna 
pumped so that Aaron can do a bottle, right? He's going to want to feed the baby sometimes to bond with the baby. And I was like, no. I was like, you know, like first time mom pregnant, like 21 years old. And I was like, no, I don't even care how he feels about that. Are you kidding? <laughs> um, but I remember going to him and being like, my grandma asked me, and I'm not asking you, I'm not offering to do this. But what I'm saying is, do you have any feelings or desire to do that? That you then want to like process feelings around? And I remember him saying, I was like, because she thinks you were going to feel like you're missing out. Do you feel like you're missing out on an experience that you see fathers get to have? And he just said, how could I ever feel like I'm missing out on something that doesn't belong to me? So true. There you go. He's like, and I appreciate yeah. He's like, I acknowledge and appreciate the fact that that means you carry a lot of work that I literally cannot help you with. But no, I'm not missing out. It's not mine. Why would I, as the yeah. dad, feel the need to feed the baby? It's not my job. Sorry. <laughs> you know? So did you, you obviously through your mother witnessed a lot of women in the postpartum time when you were little mm-hmm. and then through your birth work and friends. So were you, yeah, you were really in it and then you kind of learned from them what you needed, what to ask for and your partner and or just were you just born like this I would say a lot less than you expect um because midwifery doesn't do a good job postpartum midwifery does a better job than doctors but midwifery doesn't actually extend much into postpartum and it doesn't have the intimacy and depth of postpartum care that's necessary. Right. Um, so it really wasn't something that I saw very modeled. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something that I came into, I would say, in those years of like 19 to 21 when I had really connected and begun my initiation into motherhood and was like seeking almost the like completion of that portal right? Between my first and our second baby, our loss and our firstborn son. Um, And so in that period when I was really like consciously constructing myself as a mother and setting up my life to invite motherhood, that looked like I moved to a new city and I would go to mother circles to make friends, not like the university. Like I sought out mothers and that kind of support. And so I showed up to them, you know, in my maidenhood, but also with this deep desire to be present with them and to serve them. And it was then that I really began like any woman in my community that had a baby, I will go and feed you and I will come and do something in your home. And I will like, may I bring you soup on Thursday or Friday? I'm going to be stopping at the store on my way. I will check with you that afternoon if you need me to pick something up. Like I started offering this to women and it felt so good. I think this was probably part of why I was so comfortable asking when it was my turn as I had first really deeply connected with how good it felt to give to a postpartum mother. So when I was the postpartum mother, I was really sure that people wanted to help me and that I wasn't asking too much and that it was going to feel good to them. And that they meant it when they said, do you need anything? Because I had felt the other side of the coin first. So I got to trust 
that people were really available to me just as I had been available to them. That's so true. I It's so sad to hear when women just feel like they're being a burden or that people don't want to help them. And it's, it is such an honor to give to a pregnant woman and feed her. It's or a, a, a new mother. It's like, I love that you got to experience that. And you are the rare maiden that, you know, <laughs> showed up in that way. That's so beautiful. It's like what I wish that I would have been like in my maidenhood. And I think, you know, so many women will just probably hear this conversation and who, who haven't gone through it themselves yet. And will hopefully be inspired to also do that so that they can fully claim it when their time comes and just, you know, rightful completion yeah. of the circle of life. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what did you learn from that as you moved into your second experience? Like, did you just want to recreate exactly the same thing did you is there anything that you feel like you missed out on that you brought into your second time or I mean third time really yeah I I didn't feel like I missed out on anything I I was like it was so it was so great that I was like as excited about postpartum as I was about having a baby amazing like I was like what like it was like whatever like human psychedelic concoction my brain is going to get to access again like I am so excited for that feeling in my body and in my mind um almost as much as I was to have the child like I you know some women are like oh I love giving birth like I could give birth a hundred times if I didn't even get a baby every time like I love postpartum like that's like a driving force and like a driving <laughs> desire to have more children is to touch postpartum more often. Yeah. Um, and so our second experience was, yeah, I think if anything, it was just this, you know, now awareness that I had a two-year-old or children are all very close together. Um, so my second son was born exactly two weeks after my first turn two. And so there was this awareness that, I was going to, you know, need to manage this a little differently. Um, but we, again, we also got to really rely on the fact that it had worked so well the first time. Like I really, I had set myself up expecting to receive goodness, received it and was like, okay, that's worth it. Like we got to hold the same commitment to it. My partner and I included because we had experienced how well it works. And I think what I was not, I know I was not, I was not prepared for the sense of loss between my firstborn and myself. As a stay-at-home mama, my husband didn't work very much, like hours-wise at all. But I had this really, really deeply attuned rhythm with my two-year-old son. And so much of meeting his needs in that time looked like daddy stepping into that rhythm daddy taking him out to the playgrounds daddy taking him out to do the grocery shopping daddy stepping into this life that I had really constructed for myself this rhythm that I had really like made for me and my baby to enjoy 
And so it was, there was a lot of discomfort for me in feeling, I remember distinctly feeling the feeling like I had been left out of the family that I had made, like so consciously, so purposely. And I was like plopped into this new thing with this new baby while I was like not a part of the like days that I wanted to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, there probably could have been some, and I did like catch up by like week two when I was like, this is not working for me. This is feeling really not good. I'm alone too much or, you know, whatever that was. Um, but there was a lot of grief and a lot of loss and even like disappointment to touch. And again, it was, it was also more so than my first, but it also was pretty balanced with those heights and that enjoyment and that bliss and that love. And so it was still really good. And I still have lots of really beautiful memories. Um, And it absolutely was this wonderful, you know, it's this foundation that you get to return to. It it sets this imprint for what is motherhood. And our our second was much harder. We also were like living in a really moldy house. And my two-year-old was really, really sick because of mold, but like it was this insane thing, but, um, but it was still really beautiful. And, and it did really inform when I had my third son, where I then had two toddlers, our third baby was born the day after our second turned 18 months. So I had a three and a half, or I just turned three, yeah, three and a half, 18 months newborn. And I do feel like I got to go into that one with an awareness of like, so there's the toddler rhythm and there's the newborn rhythm. And they're very much at odds in the initial days. You can you can pretty quickly find ways to weave them together in a matter of like a month or two. But in those first weeks, the toddler rhythm does not match with the newborn rhythm inherently. And so I was- Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I wonder if you could speak to that. Because I know so many women, they have their children very close together and they're just Mm -hmm. like, what you know those first few weeks months Mm -hmm. it is so difficult for them yeah so yeah Yeah, and I think and yeah so my second experience postpartum really gifted me this insight was this frame of like why did I feel so left out why was I feeling not present in this and it was being not present in this rhythm that I really was familiar with and was separate from the one that I was needing to be in to take care of my newborn So with our third baby and two toddlers, it was really looking at, like, as I approached birth, looking at what is the rhythm of our day and why is it looking that way? So the rhythm of our day looks like, you know, for example, it'd be like, we get up, I make tea, we make breakfast, we clean up and we go out. We're out for like two to three hours. And then we, you know, this looking at like, how is this moving? Where are our periods of activity? Where are our periods of rest? How is that? And it's much bigger swings 
If you look at the activity and rest cycles of a toddler, it's much bigger. Big, big activity, dip into a big rest. Big, big activity, and it comes more quickly. They cycle through those uh, with greater height and depth. And also like, if you were to look at like a frequency wave, right? Like the waves are close together, but they're also very tall. And the baby's rhythm is very short. That wave is very short and drawn out. And it's this like, I guess I'm kind of awake and oh, now I'm asleep. And I'm almost a little awake. And it's this really gentle flow that is that's really down low the whole time and has this rhythm to it, but it's just barely perceptible right? Because this time in this newborn sphere is liminal. And that this, that cadence is present, but you're barely going to notice it. So it was looking at where are the places where these can meet? Because I know that I'm going to need to ground into the places where they can meet so that I don't feel like my existence is separate from that of the rest of my families. I want to feel that me and this baby, that I'm integrating this baby into my family, that I'm integrating myself as this new mother into my family. And part of that is baby and mama moving into the family rhythm eventually, gently, you know, whatever. But part of that is the family meeting mother baby. And how can I bring my family back into me and my big kids back into me and invite them a little bit into this slower, more gentle rhythm. Where does that line up? So that in practice looked like also looking at which parts of these rhythm are really important to my toddlers. I don't want to dysregulate them. I don't want this to be a, you know, there's challenge in it, but I don't want this to be a hard thing that they're going through. And so I was looking at you know what? No, we go out every single morning for a couple hours because they super need that. That is kind of a non-negotiable for them. So we're going to keep that. Daddy's going to take them out as they like to do every morning. And then when we come back and we naturally have this little dip of activity, I'm going to make sure that that's a space where like, I invite them into the room and they come sit with me and they spend that time with me. Or I move myself to the couch just to be in the room while they're playing or whatever that looks like. And it wasn't that I held myself to this at all, right? There was still lots of like, just letting it happen. But it was knowing that I could make these invitations for myself to integrate all of my children and to hold all of my children and to invite myself to step into what that new role of mama of three is going to look like with no expectation of what it does look like, but, but like consciously showing up to the task of, of making it. And that was, yeah, big, a big piece of that too, is this looking at what my big kids need and looking at how that's going to, because that was so much of my goal in that second postpartum was well, whatever it takes for Owen to like have his needs met. Owen shouldn't sacrifice any of his needs just because we have a new baby. 
And while that's mostly true, there is an element of a whole family is becoming. And your older child is being integrated into a new rhythm. And especially if this is your first to your second, it is a transition for that firstborn. The needs of the firstborn kind of get to dictate the entire family. Yeah, they just do. That's that's mm-hmm. what they get to have, the ones who come first. And I've noticed for many of them, it's because they need that. Right? They're the the person that needs a good couple years of that before they can do anything else. Um, but there is then this process of appropriate integration of your needs are not the only thing that that direct the family anymore. And so, and I think here is where mothers can find a piece of grief that asks to be integrated, which is the fact that your firstborn's experience is going to change. Their experience Mm -hmm. in their childhood, their experience of you as their mother, their experience of what that feels like day to day is going to shift. Mm -hmm. And there most often is grief to be felt there. There just is. So how did you help? Well, how did you help your oldest child? And then, you know, the following the next one, and then maybe this one too, how do you help? Like, did they have any, situations where they kind of acted out maybe like hit the baby or expressed that they weren't happy with how things were going like how did you deal with all of that and integrate and make them feel heard and just avoid a lot of that con like the sibling conflict yeah I think that is like a common experience or a common fear um I am inclined to think that that comes up when we leave that period of grief unintegrated when we try to move forward as if the firstborn's experience or the as if the children's experience doesn't have to shift with the arrival of a new person, we deny ourselves, but also them, the opportunity not just to feel their grief or their anger or their, their longing, but also we deny them the opportunity to be initiated into what's now beginning. And so for that's that's a big piece for me is I'm going to... This is a threshold for my children and they might find some discomfort. It's my job as their mother to carry them over that threshold and to initiate them into their new role of the family. So that that's like a big conversation that I'm continually having with my children in our life, but also comes up much more when we prepare for a new baby. And that is to orient themselves to the place in the family. That looks like I speak over my eldest. He's the oldest. And he, it's of his constitution and of his essence that he is such a strong person. He is such a leader. And he's such a good leader because he he takes others into it. He's compassionate. He makes decisions and he leads his brothers in a way that includes them and is reflective of them. And I am just so, and I tell him these things, I am so happy that you're the child who choose to came first. It's a big job and you decided to do it. And I love that because 
all of my other kids get to have you as their big brother. Like, I'm so happy for Milo and Noah that they get you as their big brother, Owen. I'm tearing up. That's so like, sweet. We are all so glad that you get to do that job. And so in that, he gets to, and sometimes he does express, even a few months ago, he was like, he said, I don't remember it in my brain, but my heart sometimes misses when I was baby Bubby, and I know it was just you and me. I do too, bud. Those mm-hmm. were the, some of the happiest days of my entire life. And we talk about, I, you know, I reflect back to him, like the things we would do and the way that that felt and how special that was to, to me to love him and how much, how much it helped me become a mama to feel so much love for him really allowed me to love anyone else after that. What a gift too, that he did that for me and giving him even those like brief seconds to feel that. And then it's always like, I don't want my brothers gone. I love them too. This is so good. I love our family. Like, you know, I do too. Isn't that interesting that you can hold sadness and gratitude at the same time? I hear you. So when Milo was, my second was 18 months and was going to become a big brother, he very much had a concept of baby, but he wasn't going to big brother this baby the way that even a two-year-old would. Like that, that actually wasn't going to be how he oriented to this space. So that wasn't included as much and more so that was preparing him for like, he was still nursing. So it's baby's going to nurse too. And he'd be like, same time, like maybe sometimes, sometimes, maybe sometimes we'll take turns. Maybe so, you know, it's kind of preparing him for how someone else would be sharing the space and how it's different than how, you know, you would think him being the second born, he already knows what that's like, but it's different to share booby with someone who's, you know, my firstborn wasn't nursing anymore. That is different. Um, To have a little brother, not just to be the little brother. And yet in the last year, even though they are very close, as Milo came up on like three, he started to be the big brother to our youngest. And that looked like, can I carry him? And he can't, but (laughs) I want to get his shoes. I want to, you know, and again, speaking that over him and inviting him into that, going out of my way to, to actually kind of stop Owen from constantly fulfilling the role and make space for Milo to step into it. So Mm. no one needs pants and Owen goes off to go get them. Oh, oh, and hold on, hold on a second, actually. You're going to help me in the kitchen with this. Milo, since you're also Noah's big brother, do you want to go help him pick out pants? They're in the closet. Mm. Oh, you picked out his favorite ones. Did you know these are his favorite? Yeah. That is so thoughtful that you thought of which pants you're little. You didn't just get him pants to keep him warm. You picked out the pants that you knew he would like. You're an awesome big brother. Do you want to be the one to give them to him? He's going to be so excited that you got the blue ones. And inviting him into that, like. And I think, you know, people try to talk. 
I see this too when it comes to siblings and postpartum as people be like, give your, give your older kid a job, have them be the one to get the diapers, have them be the one to get this. And then other people will be like, never give your child a job. They're not the one who chose to have the baby. And you're going to create resentment and rivalry between siblings. (laughs) I'm not of that, that side of whatsoever. (laughs) That's how they feel fulfillment and a member of the family. Yes. And so for me, it all comes down to this, giving my children a way to orient to their place in our family. And so for Noah, as we prepare to have another baby, that's looking like I'm drawing attention. And this is subtle. This isn't very, you know, I don't spend a lot of my time like thinking about this. When I lay it all out, it sounds like I like carefully constructed this. I didn't know this modeling is really helpful. This is what I want to talk about in a little bit, just how, you know, the summit is about modeling and how it's part of our, how we learn. So these, just the snippets that you're sharing are going to be so valuable. Okay. So, so for Noah, that looks like drawing attention to the ways that he is being big brothered, like helping him notice and he does, but like verbally drawing attention to the ways that Owen and Milo are like taking care of him. Or Noah got a scooter for his birthday and Milo got to be the one to teach him to use it. He already knew, but Milo got to teach him how to use it. And then when Noah came in to show me, come watch me, I can do it. He's too, you know, being excited for him, but also going, oh my God, did your big brother Milo teach you this? And him getting to connect with like, yes, my big brother was present for me. And what did that feel like? It looked like he guided me. He supported me. He helped me up when I scraped my knee. Like, like letting him really feel into what does it feel like to have a big brother, to be loved by my big brother. And then watching how without my even intentionally connecting the dots, Noah and again, he's not quite two and a half, will come and talk to me about the things he's going to teach the baby. That's him preparing for his initiation into being a big brother, is that when he looks forward to our future, he is anticipating holding a role in the family that is different than the one he holds now. Mm -hmm. Allowing him to begin processing that and metabolizing little bits of that now means that when he lands in that space, there's like a small thread of familiarity that he'll get to ground into. And the hope, the intention is that when he lands there and he feels that, he feels that thread of familiarity of like, oh, this is brotherhood. Some part of him gets to go, I recognize brotherhood. I know what this is. I know what to do. I know what I get to receive. And this isn't so scary because I've kind of done this before, just the other side. And he gets to be in the role of his beloved brothers that he grew up just like adoring. And he gets to do that. That's so exciting, I'm sure. Yeah. For him. Wow. That's so beautiful. He gets to join the You are weaving. (laughs) That's so you're just like weaving this long-term, lifelong brotherhood connection. That's that's so important. And the parents play such a role in this. Um, especially the mother. So I just, I love and 
I applaud you for, for prioritizing that. It's so important because they'll be together long after we're on. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's interesting to be the guardian of relationships and dynamics that actually have nothing to do with you. Yeah. Their relationship has actually nothing to do with me. It must be so fun to watch them interact and talk to each other. I always want to hear my daughter just have converse, little conversations with her little friends. I just always want to be a little fly on the wall. It's just so fun to watch Blossom. And, and then and then I won't be a part of it anymore at some point. But especially when it's your own children, I just, yeah, I could dream of it for the future. It is. No, it's so fun to watch them. Yeah, they have, you know sometimes their dad and I will just sit back like we'll be in the room and be like we're like not for them we're like not in the room right now like they're so (laughs) they are so living their own life and you can even see it when like I'll go to like speak or something and they like all like pop out of it like oh (laughs) you also exist still that's right (laughs) (laughs) their own little reality that they co-create just just the mm-hmm. three of them mm. so beautiful to see how yeah the memories that they'll hold and recall to you when they're older mm. yeah okay so your third postpartum experience was equally blissful and wonderful right amazing yeah okay it's pretty amazing we had just <laughs> I want to draw it to, I actually I want to draw attention to this. If you were on the outside looking in, it would look like we were not set up. We had just moved cross country twice in six months. We had sold literally all of our belongings. When we moved into our home, I was 39 weeks pregnant. We did not have a bed. We all slept on the floor for four days until a mattress came and the mattress arrived like three days before Noah was born. Mm-hmm. We had a mattress and the boys' toy kitchen and a dining table, but no chairs for the first month of postpartum. Oh, we wow. didn't have any friends. I didn't have any family support. It was just the five of us. And we were also, (laughs) we were also in the very beginning stages of separation that had just begun to to be a part of the conversation like weeks prior. Mm. And so like you look at that and I think that's the thing. It's very easy to look at that and be like, oh, that must've been so hard. It actually was so totally fine. Mm. And that was by prioritizing, again, prioritizing like my body. Again, I'm not going to be getting up and cleaning. I'm not going to be getting up and cooking. I am not going to be leaving the house. I am like, those are just (laughs) non-negotiable. And being that we were three and a half years in to parenthood together and you know like what like six years into being together postpartum is a family value in our family 
I know I, I don't even hesitate to offer to go feed someone. And then even still, this happened a couple weeks ago, Aaron and I being separated. And I said, Thursday night, we're bringing a postpartum woman dinner and I'll need you to drive me. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's how it is. Our family shows up for women's <laughs> postpartum and that's what we do. Yeah. When my children see a pregnant woman before they even talk about the fact that she's going to have a baby, they ask what soup we're going to make her. Like they, they're like, her belly is so big. Is her baby coming out soon? I'll go, yes. And they go, are we going to feed her? Yeah, we're going to feed her. <laughs> you know? I love my, this. my three old son was a very pregnant woman the other day. And he said, you know, it is always, he's like, her baby coming out really soon it looks like it's going to break in her skin. And I was like, it does, it does look that way. Should we make the broth today or not yet? I was like, no, not yet. We'll wait, we'll wait until the baby comes. But like, I don't know. That's, that was, that's his process yeah. of like birth means soup. <laughs> mm -hmm. right? So important, especially for the, the men too. It's like, I mean, everyone, but. Yeah, yeah. so, so yeah. being that that was, such as like a core value for our family regardless of any other things moving in our life or our home or you know everything going on it was still I'm gonna sit in bed and nurse the baby and daddy's gonna handle it and that did look I did do a much better job of like inviting the boys into my space and bringing activities into the bedroom where I was and like just being more present and did not feel that sense of loss or grief that I did the second time around. Mm -hmm. um, not in the same way, like it would be present and I got to like see it and recognize it and feel it and transmute it. But that process felt very gentle and correct versus like abrasive or overwhelming um you know it was like it was the acknowledgement that I didn't I had just moved away from all of these women that I knew would have fed me postpartum and also being like but I refuse not to be fed right not doing that um and so teaching my husband how to roast a chicken because it's like my kids love it and it's good protein you know whatever like a couple things did I eat like 47 roasted chickens postpartum? Yes. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> Everyone was fed. Everyone was satisfied. It was totally great. You know, it was, he'd make, he'd plop it into a broth to, for soup for me or whatever that looked like. But really, I think that third postpartum for me spoke to just how, just how accessible postpartum ease and comfort is if you just meet the basic physiological needs of rest, warmth, nourishment, and stillness. Mm -hmm. And when you meet those basic, basic physical needs with remarkable commitment, you automatically and inherently will hold the spaciousness that the energetic integration needs to move. If you are not filling the space, and postpartum is very spacious, it's very, very open. 
There's lots of time. There's lots of stillness. There's a lot of sitting with self as you sit with sleeping baby. If you take those times and you go fill it with activity, with like getting up and doing literally anything rather than still sitting, that's when you start to lose those opportunities for energetic integration. Um, and that, that like becoming a mother again. But if you just force your body to be still, if you just hold that physical stillness with commitment, you will, you will hold that emotional and energetic stillness that you also need. And so it doesn't take, you see so often people like, oh, I, and this is, you know, dipping into like the summit a little bit and, and really all of my work postpartum, the summit, my course, like all of the things that I do and create are because I think we have this beautiful cultural resurgence of the conversation around postpartum at all, mm-hmm. where anyone's now even talking about like, you should be resting and you should be fed right? And that's a great starting point. Mm -hmm. It is. And as we're speaking about the primal needs of our bodies while continuing to live in a modern structured world, there's a breakdown somewhere. There is this sense of that looks really nice, but I can't have it. And that looks like, you know, you know, even if you read the, the book, The First 40 Days, it's beautiful. She also literally had aunties fly across the world to come like spoon feed her bra. Mm-hmm. What if you don't? What if you literally don't? What do you do if you look at that and you, and you know, and I think women feel it. You look at the model of rest postpartum and it connects to something innate within you where you're like, no, I know that I deserve that. I know that that would be better. Oh, that sounds really good. But what if your husband goes back to work? What if you have three toddler boys? What if you just moved across the country? What if you don't talk to your mother? What if your best friend is like five hours away? What if your mother-in-law is a horrible cook? What if, what if, what, you know, what if you don't have the finances to then spend hundreds or even thousands of dollars replacing all these people. What do you do? How do you get from where you feel that you are to where you want to be? Literally, how do you construct that? And I think so often the models that we see of like a good postpartum experience are the ones that feel like the exception to the rule. They're the women who had the money who have beautiful families, who have a rich community, who already don't work, whose husband works from home or whatever that is, right? That we look at them and we find some reason that they're the exception. And we use that to tell ourselves that we're a part of the rule and that we can't have it. The reality is, is that there's a lot of potential when you look at postpartum and you identify these core pillars of postpartum wellness and these core needs that invite you into postpartum vitality, you get to get really creative with how am I gonna meet those needs? 
And it is so, it's so brilliant and it's so good that you don't even have to do that killer of a job to have remarkable results. You don't have to have it perfectly constructed. Your body wants to feel these good things so much, any amount of invitation, and it will like flourish as much as possible. And so when I make any offering to postpartum women or I talk about my own postpartum experiences, it's completely with this goal of speaking to that, of like, it can look a million different ways. It can feel good. You can enjoy it. You can feel safe and nourished, whatever the structure of your life is. It's just a matter of, are you going to choose to claim it? And do you have any amount of structure, guidance, a model, or, or any kind of information to then work with? How am I going to craft it? And I think that's the piece that's so often missing is there's lots of you can have this, but not a lot of, and here's how. Yeah. Yeah, that's why these stories and these conversations are so important. We do need that model. I feel like, yeah, everything you were saying was absolutely speaking to me. And I shared a little bit about my first postpartum experience and your, our, um, our talk together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my partner went to work uh, three days after birth and... Mm. It's like, it it seems like all the women that are having these beautiful experiences just, you know, have their partner for six weeks or more. They have this beautiful community. They're never alone. And the reality for so many women I know is that they are so alone, even if they do have these things to some extent. So, So do you share this then in your nourished postpartum course like this blueprint of making this actually happen that's not so reliant on all the things all the all the people we need to gather and spend thousands on and and all Mm -hmm. these things okay yeah Yeah, it's a lot of that I I see it as this like twofold piece there is a lot of in the course invitation into examining your own template for safety and reception and nourishment and really diving into like where are my self-limiting beliefs right where where am I feeling that I'm not deserving of this where am I not opening where am I not choosing to let myself claim this Mm. what was the story of the postpartum when my mother had me What was my imprint for this? What have I seen in other women and kind of deconstructing some of those structures that we hold mentally or in our body so that you can then do that second bit, which is really honestly taking stock of your life and looking at, you know, there's lots of tools in there for, so you have older kids, like here's some practices for identifying, like I said, like What parts of that rhythm are non-negotiable for your kids? For my kids, they cannot do more than like tops a movie of screen time a day, or they're ultimately worse off than before. So for me, 
like, well, we'll just all watch movies is not a postpartum solution. My kids will lose it. I don't get to lean on that. But here's what I do get to lean on. Here's what does regulate them while still being close. Like, and, and really looking at piecing that together, looking at, you know, really getting honest of like, look at your life. Literally here, let's, we're going to make a list of every single person in your entire pregnancy who ever said, let me know if you need anything. Mm -hmm. Now imagine telling that person what you need. What does that feel like in your body? Can you let yourself send that message? And if not, why? Is it because you don't trust them? Because you don't trust yourself? Like really digging into working with yeah, you can construct it. And yes, it must feel, it might feel uncomfortable. Here's how to not only identify where you can reach out, where you can call in support, but here's how to hold yourself through the discomfort of actually doing that. Because for so many women, that's where they, that's the reservation. So many women have more support than they, they allow themselves to receive. And so it's digging into, yeah, your mother-in-law might not be the person that you want to help you alchemize your birth story. Can she follow a recipe? Can you tell her, I want this soup on Wednesday? Your neighbor, maybe you don't know well enough to watch your kids. Fine. Can you tell your neighbor, hey, we had a baby for the next three weeks. Can you bring our trash to the curb when you do your own? There's just no way I'm going to be remembering. What can, what needs to be done? How can someone else do it? And in between those spaces, can you let yourself have that? Oh, those are all so great. I love how you bring together the actual practical side with the inner work. And because it's so much both of those things. And I find like, I feel like a lot of offerings I see are very much inner work and less practical. And the postpartum calls for so much of this planning piece, you mm -hmm. know, along with the inner work, but we do need to think about these tasks and how to delegate them and preparing for the food piece. It's like, it's an embodied, physical, earthy experience. So yeah, yeah we need to bring it all together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there is. There is so much constructing that for yourself because post when you we've talked about this in other talks or in the summit, touched on it so many times in the last couple of weeks, orchestrating all this. But when you arrive postpartum, that's not when you want to be like, oh, I need support and now I'm gonna create it for myself. You're popping out of your body and into your mind. You are needing to then like create structures or guardianship over yourself when you really want to stay mushy and soft and open. Like it's, it's the opposite embodiment of where we naturally want to be dropping into. And so there's an element of really, ultimately you're calling in these like masculine structures, this like sense of stability and security and containment that surrounds your entire postpartum window. And because that is so secure 
and trusted and safe. You, the born again woman who blasted straight out of her crown to the cosmos to go collect her baby and landed back in this mushy gushy, loosey goosey body and new sense of self, you get to step into that firm container of postpartum safe. And you get to stay open and you get to have this be your play field for rewriting yourself and your life and your story of motherhood and your stories of worth and belonging and safety and nourishment and the ability to give as much as you receive. But if you lack that foundation around you, you arrive to that really open, boundless spaciousness of postpartum and it will inherently feel unsafe because there's no there's no boundaries around it. And so when we arrive to that space and it feels unsafe with how little structure there is, that's when we start to build that structure, but we're then stepping into the role of the container rather than the contained. And what we really want in this postpartum space is to be really lushly, deliciously in that feminine embodiment of shadow and wild and even chaotic and flourishing and like just alchemy, real-time alchemy. But that only feels safe in our body and to our babies if we're firmly held first. And so, yeah, that's that practical part, that planning part is I choose right now that I'm going to be held later. And when you're pregnant, it's easier to do. You're not totally in that boundless space. You get to call upon that, like, you get to tap into that masculine authority of like, I'm going to take care of myself later by setting these things up. And in that too, I find this really, really beautiful thread that I never see anyone else talk about, which is when you give birth, the woman that you were dies and another woman is reborn. And it's really potent when you go from maiden to mother, but you feel it from mother to born again mother too. It's it's a massive transformation. And part of, there's grief in that too. Part of integrating that grief is making space for the conscious death of the woman that you were And that also includes like reverence and gratitude for her. So something that I do for myself every postpartum is at 40 weeks, I make myself a big batch of the soup that I've ate with, and I've done this every single time. And I tuck it away. And sometimes it's close enough that like, it's just in the fridge actually, when I have my baby, sometimes I put it in the freezer and I make that meal, consciously crafting it for the woman that I know I will become, but I actually don't know yet. Mm. And the woman that I become gets to enjoy that food and feels nourished and loved and seen by the woman that I remember being, but I am no longer. And that thread of connection for myself, not only tangible nourishment, not only literal practical support I was fed this day, but that sensation of integration and sense of belonging 
by allowing it to be very clear where I am is different than where I was. But there's this thread of familiarity. There's this gift I get to receive. I get to think of the woman that I was and the mother I was, and I get to tap into her gifts that are still present within me, right? I get to choose the pieces of her in her death that I choose to weave into myself now. And in that, that's conscious grieving. And mm. there's no pain in that. Loss, grief, but not suffering. Gratitude, and reverence, and honor, and ultimately integration. Plus a really good meal when I needed one. <laughs> Right. Oh, that's such a beautiful ritual. Just, yeah, it's like I don't even have the words for just, just I feel it as you're saying it, like how potent that would be. Um, just like lineage within yourself, um, carrying yourself forward. Have you made that soup yet? No. I want a couple. A too early. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I would love to hear a little bit about anything you're doing for this upcoming postpartum and then kind of sharing a little bit about the summit and how that, like any pieces of that you want to share about what it is and then what you gathered in from the women, how it will change your upcoming postpartum, just, just anything maybe like that's interesting that you didn't think about or yeah um I don't know just some interesting things from from your time being with these women it's been really it's been really incredible to orchestrate this while being so close to that veil myself um and it's felt so like nurturing right and it's been really it's been really powerful too to then be able to tap into that right we're seeking to offer this to postpartum women and my whole intent of the entire project was like we talked about like we lack this model and we should be learn everything everything else that humans do we learn through modeling that's how we learn to walk and talk and form relationships and break relationships and like just literally anything anything that is hunt and feed ourselves and like anything that is necessary for human continuance we learn by watching and doing together. What about birth? What about postpartum? And it should be, it is by our design that as a little girl or like my boys get to do even, we're making food for postpartum mothers. I'm constructing their image of postpartum right now. My sons are going to show the heck up for their wives someday (laughs) because they know. And yet, if you've not experienced that, as pretty much none of us have, you still crave to like learn that way. We still want to be like learning through almost like osmosis of communal wisdom. And so it's this invitation to, I wanted, I keep saying, I wanted everyone to feel like they get to sit down with a cup of tea And like, they're just sitting at the feet of their community and just kind of soaking it in. And then getting to integrate that wisdom as their own and go apply it to their life. 
because those were the most nutritive experiences of my life was being literally being a maiden on the living room floor with a cup of tea surrounded by mothers and just being there. And it wasn't that many of them had the experience I wanted to have, but it was still learning because it was hearing what they wished they had had. It was hearing their longing. It was then, and I think that's the difference too between someone having come in and just like give you advice versus gleaming the wisdom of their experience and getting to integrate it into your own. Never once did a woman sit down and tell me, here's what you should do to have a good postpartum. But I've spent hundreds of hours with mothers bearing witness to their longing. And in that, that gets to inform how I construct my life for myself. So it was really beautiful in the summit. Sometimes there were things that I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea about that. Like um, Gemma came in and talked a million different things that you can do to honor and alchemize your placenta. Um, and like, apparently chimpanzees will lotus birth if they're safe enough. And they actually only sever the cord if they are in an unsafe birthing environment or like a zoo. They don't eat it? No. There's... Oh. Not unless they have intuitively decided that they need to, to get the nutrients to move because they are not safe. Mm, got it. So interesting. Or like, you know, mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and for me, this postpartum, a lot of the planning's the same, right? Like it's, mm, it's almost, yeah. it almost feels like muscle memory at this point, like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I heard, oh my gosh, we talked about like hearing your kids' conversations. I overheard my children who didn't know I could hear them the other day talking about postpartum. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They love when their dad makes chili for dinner. It's one of the few dinners that like daddy makes it and it feels very special and cool to them. And they were all like in their playroom the other day around the corner. They don't know that I can hear everything they say when they're here. They seemingly think I can't because <clears throat> it's also where they like plot, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but my five-year-old, he like informs his younger brothers. He goes, hey guys, did you know that when mom has a baby, she doesn't cook for a while? And my three-year-old, almost in tears, he goes, how will we eat? And my five-year-old says, dad cooks sometimes. And my middle boy goes, oh, chili. <laughs> And the, the two-year-old baby was like, yum! Just, <laughs> they're all on their own excitedly looking forward to how like they know that daddy's gonna like they're gonna eat more chili than they do on normal times of life. It's not so pure. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was Sweet. so funny to hear, you know, my five-year-old who actually now remembers postpartum and went, hey guys, did you know? Again, it occurred to him that his little brothers might not know this. Did you know when mom has a baby, she doesn't cook for a while? And his little preparing of them was so interesting to watch. Um, so much of it is the same. 
I also am constructing for myself this time um, much more support from women specifically and feeling so much absolutely like commanded by this baby, but this desire for reference. Like reverence. I need other mothers to come sit at my feet in holy reverence of me and my child. Mm. And so I don't just need to rest. I don't just need to be fed. Like there's something, and I know that it will be enough and it will be totally great. And I will feel amazing if I just get all those things. But I feel this baby commanding for themselves more like decadence almost. Mm. so that looks like you know it looks like I bought like a big sheepskin to lay on and I bought I bought like a linen robe for myself and I have a mother and a maiden who are both very good friends um Christine Rivy, who's in the summit and talks on the energetics of nourishment is going to come take care of me Oh, mother. That's right. Yeah. She's there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this mother is going to come in and and Emily Bruce, who's not in the summit, but many people may know her. <clears throat> I had asked her, she lives a couple hours away. I'd asked her if she was like, I was like, mm-hmm. do you do postpartum? Like, what do you? Oh, she's so perfect for this. Both oh, of them. She was like, mm-hmm. she was like, I'm not gonna lie, I'm really intimidated at the idea of cooking for you, but Christine will still be in town and she should cook yeah. for you. I've seen your recipe blog. It's yeah. it's really, really good. I need to buy your, your cookbook, but I would be intimidated for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, and they kind of then talked together and presented this really beautiful image of, you know, Emily was like, I just, I have this image and I'm not trying to like invite people into your postpartum, but I have this image of us both being there. And that Christine gets to like cook for you and nourish you and like touch you. And I get to be present with the like, you know, whole gaggle of sons that you guys have between you and take care of your home. And it was just this really well-rounded like continuum, this continuum of womanhood to have the maiden come in and offer her vibrancy and her life and her accessibility and her openness and her multifaceted nature in service of mothers and have this mother come in and pull in her reverence and her nurturance and her skill and her familiarity and her ability to see me in the places that she has touched before. Mm. And uh Hannah Tovar is going to be really close to town when I'm having baby and I like you know I kind of get to call in mm-hmm. you know we moved here I found out I was pregnant like two weeks after we got here and it definitely was this initial like ah oh. <laughs> again we just moved across the country as I'm about to have a baby <laughs> oh okay so you haven't had time do? to no, well, and I have. And so I like really, I really, really intentionally like sought out women and sought out pregnant mothers and went to feed them and like I'm creating that. 
But I also, the flip side was this really, really, really big energetic piece of every postpartum I've had has been incredible. And this one is going to be my best yet. I'm going to be so held and so nourished and so adored. That's what I'm going to have. And literally in that first month in like July or whatever, deciding, straight up saying, you know what? Maybe some of my friends like move into RVs and decide to come to me. Like straight up was like, somehow I get what I want. And I either find it in people here or people come to me. Maybe I make thousands of dollars and I somehow convince Esme to fly. Like maybe like straight up, like I am open to miracles here. I am open to any amount of the universe orchestrating on my behalf to give me this experience. And I'm claiming it right now. And now over the next several months, I'm going to work with what that feels like in my body. Can I receive even more? Can I soften even more? Can I trust even more? And then watching that come to life. Mm. Where like literally multiple of my friends moved into RVs with their family and without taking me into account are going to be in Tucson the month that I birthed my baby. (laughs) Like, was that my practical planning or my energetic work? Like a little of both, right? <laughs> energetic. <laughs> together. <laughs> mm. Wow, that sounds so beautiful. It's just the evolution of postpartum. First, we figure out the logistics, then we expand upon it into the deepest bliss and nourishment. <sighs> so we can allow for the regenerative potential of postpartum, which we can only dream of. I feel like it's like this part of this new earth piece that I sometimes connect to. Yeah. What, what's there for us in the future with this to discover? And I feel you tapping into a lot of it. <sighs> I think so much the... I think the single, if you're going to look at the health of a society, I think truly the single greatest indicator is how do they treat the mother baby? Yeah. The single greatest. Mm -hmm. So when we've looked at like new places to move, when we look at like countries we might want to move, I look at their postpartum practices. I look at their birth and postpartum practices. Because I want to see what is this culture? How do they revere the mother child? Mm-hmm. Are people being raised horrifically traumatized or safe? Are mothers born traumatized or grounded? Because every, everyone, everyone's a part of the mother baby. Everyone is the child of a mother. And many of us then become the mother. But that mother-baby dyad, none of us are untouched by that. It's the, it's the primordial relationship. It is the root of all of us. Yeah. No one escapes untouched by that experience. Not a single person on earth. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to look at, for me, if you want to look at 
yeah, like creating this new earth and like reconstructing and reclaiming and and how are we raising our children to to make something more magnificent? We look at the structures that we're living in and most people rightfully go, this feels sick, it doesn't feel correct. It feels out of alignment and it needs to change. For me, there is no more foundational and therefore impactful change than shifting how you live postpartum. Mm-hmm. And culturally, how do we show up for postpartum? That's why it's so much, it's so much bigger than any one woman deciding to be nourished and any one child being safely held. It's this entire overculture of do you go feed the woman who has a baby? Does your husband not hesitate to go to the grocery store and pick up milk for a postpartum mother that he's never met? Does he show up? I could say that. I know a woman postpartum in my community who couldn't find eggs the other day. I was, I knew wholeheartedly that if I asked him, my ex-husband, to go to the store by himself and buy eggs and drive 20 minutes to drop them off at a woman's house who he has never met, he would have done it. Because that is a part of community care of service of the postpartum mother baby. And that is a value to all of us. And so we do it. Mm -hmm. And constructing that story It's great to do it in spaces like this where it's just that beautiful storytelling, but it becomes so much bigger the more we do it and it it becomes exponentially expanded, which is why the summit exists, which is this like really wide exposure. It's really big expansion on the postpartum conversation to where If you're pregnant, you can show up and get that tangible advice that you need. If you're postpartum, like literally ever, you can show up and and maybe re-examine and reclaim bits of your own postpartum integration that you recognize. You maybe now have the framework to recognize what you've missed. And how are you going to reclaim that now just in your motherhood? If you're a maiden or one of the like, Dozens of women message me. Like, I get messages about this every single week. How did you start as a postpartum doula, which I don't even identify as? But I I really want to take care of women postpartum, and I just don't even know how to start. How do you do it when you also have kids? How do you right where these mothers, women want to show up for each other? We belong beside each other. So not only do you have mothers approaching it from from one side going, how do I receive? You have other women on the other side going, how do I give? And these conversations serve both because it constructs this full spectrum, holistic picture of what is it to be well in postpartum. And once you have that picture, you don't even need someone to tell you how to find your place within it. You just know and you step into it. And that's what we really need. We need everyone to know their place and then just step into it. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, every time I make a meal for a new mother, I make sure to have my daughter be a part of it. And I tell her, we have to feed the mamas. We have to feed them. We're going to go, we're going to go drop this off. So it's like so accessible to mothers more than birth work because we can just take our children along, just drop it off. And then we teach them, you know, we're going to let them have some, you know, we're here to just drop it off today. Maybe another day you can play with the older child. Um, But I think there's so much that it's healed in me from my own postpartum time. And, you know, just my own exposure to it, um, to show up for these other women and these mothers in service to them. Um, And I think, yeah, there's just so much that gets healed through the act of service and through creating this for ourselves. So is there anything else you wanna share about the summit and how to access it all? I'll put everything in the show notes and- you know, share a little bit in the intro more specifically about it, but it's hearing from you, you share, you've been so generous with your wisdom and experience. So. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I think, you know, I want to say too, but like for fathers too, like it's been a big part of my, a massive part of my process is that the father of my children shows up in postpartum sphere in service of me and our child. Um, and so this is, and I find very often that that's something for women where they're like, they feel like the people around them don't get it. They even feel like their partner doesn't get it. This is go listen to some of these with your husband. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two brilliant men in here. One of them comes in specifically to talk about integrating yourself as a father through the postpartum realm and what that can look like. And what does the father need to move from boy to man to father? Um, but yeah, these talks are really nutritive and comfortable and easy to listen to and just feel like it felt so good having these conversations, being kind of close to that realm. Um, it's going to feel so good for other people to listen to them. I, I'm sure of it because there was such potent and palpable connection and transmission and every single one of these talks was just delightful um so you can yeah until February 11th you can go and grab it on pre-sale um there are links all over the place (laughs) I'm sure you'll place some in the show notes or or on your Instagram or, or wherever um and you'll be able to get it after, but it's fun to snag it pre-sale because you you get to save and access it, but, and it's there forever. It's this really beautiful lifetime investment. And so if you are ever going to be postpartum, if you are ever going to want to feed someone postpartum, um, it's just a, it's a great thing that you'll be able to revisit again and again. And I absolutely envision it being this touchstone of wisdom, right? This thread of like soothing familiarity, this this sense of being held by community, just in that shared space of knowing that these words that you hear from all of the speakers come from the space that you're in right now, 
And so there's a certain amount of soothing and grounding that is that is available there where maybe you revisit some of them while you are postpartum for that touchstone of feeling seen and held and and recognized. So that's such an important piece of it too, to feel like your experience is recognized by others. So yeah. I'm excited to listen in to all the other women. Thank you just so much for sharing your your vision and and offering a model. Um, I feel like so often we get the models for birth, the birth that we want to have, and there's just not enough to not enough women out there sharing their their blissful, supported, nourished postpartum. So I know it will serve as a beautiful model for women to manifest it for themselves. Thank you again for sharing. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to talk about. It's my favorite. Mm -hmm. So thank you for giving me space to, to share it even more. If you are loving this podcast and excited to listen more to these topics of sovereign and instinctual womanhood and motherhood, the call to women's work and more, then here are a few ways that you can support this project and help me continue to put it out there. You can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps reach more women. You can also check out my book, Pelvic Awakening, on Amazon, which is all about womb healing and connection and covers so many topics. And if you love that, you can leave a rating and review there. Um, and then finally, you can also check out my learning library, which includes my wise woman practitioner training personal healing workshops, and more. All the links are in the show notes. And thank you again so much for your support.